This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Well, greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter, at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. Hold up, hold up, hold up. And joining me, I'm not done yet. For those of you getting the audio version of this, Tyler Burns put on a party hat and whipped out a loudspeaker to add that hey, intro. Y'all thought I was playing. Oh, I'm recreating man, that megaphone gift. Y'all thought I was playing. <laughs> Listen, Jamar, I want to give you some names here real quick before we keep going. I want to give you some names here. Um, Alex Haley. Mm. Gwendolyn Parker. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Morrison, Alice Walker, mm-hmm. Michelle Alexander, mm-hmm. uh, Colson Whitehead, my, my, my. Ta-Nehisi Coates, right. Brian Stevenson, yeah. Isabel Wilkerson, Austin Channing Brown, hmm. Latasha Morrison. Mm. Those are your peers. We love you, man. Bro, Those aren't people you look like up that. to anymore. You look to the side of them now. Those are your peers. Thank you. Thank you for your work. We honor you. We believe in you. We love you. We're proud of you. Congratulations, man. Thank you so much. Wow. That's powerful, bro. That's powerful. Thank you. Well, bet. Okay. Mm. Let's get into it before we start crying. Let's get into it. <laughs> um, man. So I think before we get into the topic, I think it's important for people to acknowledge the dynamic that is happening between Jamar and I on the podcast. And some of you guys already know it because you've been listening for years, but some of you, especially if you just tuned in today, you don't know about this dynamic between Jamar and I. We just acknowledged him for being a New York Times bestselling author. We acknowledged him for being um, a man who is refined, a man who is scholarly, a gentleman and a scholar, a historian, right? Very highly educated. He carries himself with a sense of gravitas. That's Jamar. Now, that's one side of Pastor Mike. Now, the other side of Pastor Mike is me. And here's the thing about me. I'm a little bit more of a wild card, right? I got a strong prophetic in me. I got a strong table flip anointing in me, right? You guys have probably picked up on this. I'm just a little bit of a wild card. See, if it was if it was 2K, my table flip sliders would be all the way up to 90, 95 potentially, right? I'm a real strong table flip anointing. Right? I can I can typically pull it back if necessary. But the reality of the matter is, man, you know, I got a little... Got a little table flip in me. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with y'all. 
I feel like flipping just a table. It may be a baby table. It may be the kids table at Thanksgiving. I feel like flipping just a little bit of a table here today, Jamar. Uh, is that okay? Can I do that? Is is that, do you give me we permission do to do it. that? It's Juneteenth. Be free, brother. Free to be. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So I, I'm going to start off by saying, I'm going to name a name today. I'm going to name a name today. And it's something I don't normally do when it comes to someone in my fraternity. I'm going to name a pastor's name today. Um, and let me make it clear because uh, a lot of people are, a lot of people I already know, um, are going to insert their own meaning into this and they're going to say and do whatever they feel like they should say and do uh, based upon me saying this person's name. But I just want to say as a disclaimer, I I'm not canceling anybody. I'm not discarding anybody's humanity, not saying they should lose life and limb, not advocating for revenge. Okay, this is important because I just want it to be said on the front end of things. But it makes absolutely no sense for me to talk about this scenario without mentioning this person's name. Now, this person, um, I hope that he has repentance. I hope that he learns from this mistake. I hope that he grows and I hope they uses his very considerable influence, wealth, and resources for the liberation of all Black people. Amen. But the reality is we got to get into something that was very hurtful for a lot of Black Christians. Very, very hurtful. Uh, Jamar, and I'll just go ahead and mention the name. Are you familiar with a guy named Chris Hodges? Pastor Chris Hodges. Hodges. Vaguely, but give us some background. So Pastor Chris Hodges is a, a very famous pastor nationally, especially in the Southern region, the Southeast East region. And what is so interesting about Pastor Chris Hodges is he pastors the largest church in the state of Alabama. It's called Church of the Highlands. Uh, he is also a uh, leader and founding member of the ARC Church Network. And if you know anything about churches and church polity and church planting, then you know his name. You know the ARC name. Very, very popular, multi-ethnic, um, very well known. Now, here's the thing about Chris Hodges. He is very good at what he does. He's very good at systems and administration and strategies, very good at developing and building um, systems and building churches. And that's why he has tens of thousands of members from all different cultures and denominations, etc. Um, now, here's the thing about Pastor Chris Hodges. He is also known as someone who is part of the Evangelicals for Trump Alliance, Pastors for Trump. Um, okay. And that's always been an issue, right? That's always been a problem, of course. We're going to naturally run into some issues and snags there. But, you know, it's one thing to support a candidate. Now, this particular candidate is different, but it's another thing when you start <laughs> buying into certain ideologies, right? Another thing entirely when you start buying into certain ideologies. Well, Pastor Chris Hodges is in the news because there is a backlash publicly in the community where he serves based upon some things he has done on social media, okay? One of the things that he did on social media is he liked a series of posts uh, from a guy named Charlie Kirk. Now, Charlie Kirk, if you're not familiar, is at the very least a casual racist. Um, at the very most is willfully ignorant, um, virulent racist who continues to propagate stereotypes about the black community, um, stereotypes and ideas that are extremely dangerous, such as white privilege is a myth, uh, continues to attack and target black figures, um, also has a strong uh, streak of xenophobia um, in the way mm -hmm. that he deals with um, the Asian American community, especially. And Charlie Kirk is known as this figure 
And a few weeks ago, it was revealed that Pastor Chris Hodges, who only follows just a few people on Instagram, liked over, I think, I think the term is, uh, I think the actual number was over 70 posts uh, by Charlie Kirk on Instagram. Uh, many of them espousing the same things that I was just mentioning. Now, this came out, and before we could get the full weight of what happened, uh, the person who posted it, who was a local teacher in that area, who was also Black, um, she said that he was unliking posts, you know, very quickly unliking posts when it come to his Hiding attention. It, yeah. um, yes. Now, another thing that he did as well is he also deleted his entire Twitter account. So we can't actually oh. know who he liked and how many times he liked their thoughts. Now, I saw this story, Jamar, and, and to be honest with you, I, I saw this story and I said, you know what, I'm not really going to get involved in the white evangelical business, not going to really get involved in the art church stuff. You know, it, it is what it is. I mean, I'm not really going to get involved in all that. Um, it's not right. Hopefully you should apologize. But, you know, I'm not going to get involved in it. You know, so I just let it pass. Right now, some other things have come out. You know, some people had gotten upset and the local school board had basically said that some of his campuses, which are at high schools locally, especially in black areas, they didn't want them to be there anymore. Right. You can argue and debate right. the legality of all that. And people will do that as much as they want to do. Argue and debate all that. Right. But a couple of things really got me, Jamar. And my, and my pitch is rising because. A couple of things really kind of pushed me a little bit. Speak I was on. going to ignore it. Now, now the first thing that I discovered is that he had also invited, or someone in his uh, group had invited Charlie Kirk to speak at their youth group. Um, now, if you think about the largest church in the state of Alabama, that's going to be a very large youth group as well. Thousands of impressionable Generation Z members and entrenching racism in their minds and entrenching white normativity and, and frankly, white supremacy in their minds seems to me like that would be a problem. Kind of seems like that's a red flag for me. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not something I think that would be wise, but Hey, you know, I, you know, I, I had a problem with that. That started get me rising just a little bit. Right. Again, I still wasn't going to say anything. Then he comes out with an apology um, which was, depending on your perspective, sincere or woefully insufficient. Hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, well, you know, he's going to get flack. But something pushed me over the edge, Jamar. And that is that at one of their prayer meetings on the night before he gave that apology, this is the same week uh, that George Floyd was murdered on camera and it gripped the national attention. The night before, he had a prayer meeting that was televised, and the only comment that he has on his social media about this particular incident and situation is this prayer meeting, and it is a clip of him standing up and inviting all of his Black pastors who are present to come up and stand on the stage with him. So he invites them up and one by one calls them out by name, all five, six, seven of them. Uh, I think one person had his wife there as well. Uh, they run up to the stage as quickly as they possibly can, stand next to him, and then one by one, uh, he he allows them to get the mic and pray. But the thing about it is, before he started, he said, well, I have an African-American pastor here with me who runs our global student ministry, which I think is very interesting because the person who was also going to be standing next to Charlie Kirk while he talked about these entrenched racist ideas was also a black man. So that seems a little, mm -hmm. okay. That's a, that's a little bit of a development. 
Um, and so he brings them all up and one by one before he says, I just want to show we're in complete unity. And then he lets them pray and he hugs them and they cry and it's an emotional moment. Um, let me say this, and this is the topic for today. I don't know the condition of anyone's heart, so I'm not impugning motives. I don't know the condition of these pastors. I know that they're all extremely gifted. I don't know their mentality. I don't know what was said beforehand. He said it was an impromptu thing. I don't know if it was or it wasn't. It is not for me to say I am not familiar with their situation. I just want to make this one comment because this is the only reason why we're talking about this. It is directed specifically to Black Christians. Black Christians, we are not shields. We are not shields to deflect the racist backlash whenever the, the people who are in authority over us say racially insensitive things and do things based upon the fact that they have not been doing the work for themselves. We are not shields. We are not the ones that are supposed to take the brunt and explain and do the work and carry and deflect and bear the brunt of what someone should stand up for by themselves. We are not shields. We are not the people who are supposed to stand up and have our blackness affirm only when it is, it is convenient for the status quo. We are not shields. We are not the people who are supposed to fly in only at the time when it is most convenient for others around us. Yet it seems as though we are invisible to them. Our blackness is invisible to them. In every other scenario, we are not shields. And I fear, Jamar, mm -hmm. I deeply fear that there are dozens upon dozens of black Christians under the sound of my voice who will be watching this live or listening to this later. And they genuinely feel like their duty, their solemn duty is to be shields for the establishment. That it is Christ-like for them to bear the brunt of what someone should stand on their own two feet and deal with themselves. And it is dehumanizing. It is treating you like you are an inanimate object. It is acting as though you do not have worth, value, dignity, and agency. It is importing unity. It is importing all kinds of things that you may or may not believe. I want to emphasize for you, it is wrong. It is tokenizing. It is marginalizing. It is dehumanizing. And it is beneath your created image bearerness in God. It is beneath who God created you to be. You are not a shield. And I feel like on Juneteenth, I feel like we need to declare freedom for some people. If My you don't Lord. believe it yourself, we believe it for you. <laughs> you are not an inanimate object. You are not a shield. It ain't right. It ain't acceptable. And I think it's time, high time for us to declare freedom. And I'm going to give you some practical steps too. But before I get into that, Jamar, you better cut me off or, or cut this mic My off. Lord. Because I'm going to tell preaching. you, you preaching. are not Good shields. Up. And I felt so embarrassed for the men standing up there. Not because they don't genuinely love their pastor. That's not what I'm talking about. Not because they don't genuinely care for their pastor. That's not what I'm talking about. I believe you do. And I believe he's done some great things for you, giving you some phenomenal opportunities. That is all understandable. But I just want to emphasize to you that someone can do great things for you and still oppress you, still tokenize you, still dehumanize you, still treat you as less than with a smile on their face. And I'm going to tell you, 
there are enough people. It, it seems like there's a dozen people every week who reach out to me. Yeah. And they yeah. reach out to me and they vent and they say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to act. Can you help me? Can you please lift my head up? Can you point me in the right direction? And something on the inside of me recently, I, I want to sit with you. I want to pray with you. I want to cry with you. I can't do it for everybody, but I want to do it for as many people as I can. But something on the inside of me started rising up saying, hold up, everybody needs black Christians in general, the collective needs to hear. You're not a shield. I don't care where you are. I don't care how great they were. I don't care how successful the ministry is. I don't care how much good they've done as outreach in the community. You are not a shield and nothing makes you that. So I'll, I'll, we'll start there and then you can you can take over <laughs> before, I, before I lift off. I, I, I'm applying the lesson you taught me earlier today. I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let that rest. Let people absorb that. Oh man! So oh, man. <laughs> that is deep, Doc. You took you took. I just want people to understand what you what you saw because I think it's a prophetic vision. You saw this white pastor bring up these black members and leaders in his church to act as a shield for his own unrighteousness, and let's just call it that unrighteousness yes. around race. And, and use them as props. But you saw through that to the humanity, to the image of godness in those yes. black people. You empathized with their situation, with their context, but you're speaking prophetic truth to say that's not our role to be shields. And you just reminded me uh, of so many things. You reminded me of our long history of commodification. So even as we think about uh, we recording this on Juneteenth, which, which is the celebration of our emancipation. And I've said it once. I've said it a dozen times. I'll keep saying it. We say slavery for shorthand, but it's really race based chattel slavery. And so we understand on a certain level the racial aspect of it. But I do want people to realize that 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 the racial aspect of chattel slavery meant that people who were coded as black were born into, lived in, and died in slavery, which is very different from, from forced labor in yes. other contexts. Yes. Uh, there was no hope of emancipation simply because of your race. But the second part is the chattel aspect, when chattel means property, okay? So we were treated in the same category as a plow or a cart or real estate, uh, we, we were we were uh, left to the sons and daughters of white supremacists and plantation owners in their wills, as if you would leave other property. And that gets to the idea of commodification, right? So, 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 so we 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 were first treated people as property in enslavement, and and black women doubly so because they were valued for their not just their productive labor, but their reproductive labor, right? Uh, but then even after emancipation, we are, they find new ways to commodify us. And so enter convict leasing, right? Enter things like sharecropping, which is in economic yes. terms called debt 
peonage, debt peonage. It's another form of ec economic exploitation. Enter into uh, uh, in, in Mississippi, there is external pressure to change the state flag by the Southeastern Conference, the SEC football conference. Yep. Why? Because they know that black bodies on a field are commodities and they're saying, hey, we're not going to have championships in your state unless you uh, change the flag, which is ostensibly a good, but it's playing off of the commodification of black bodies. And the same thing happens in the church. Right. That's what you pointed out. That's what you pointed out. So 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 and, when you say we're not shields, you're also saying we're not commodities is what I'm hearing. That's it. And I just want to make that abundantly clear because, man, it, it's. It's something that we all do. And, you know, I've been having this conversation and Pastor John Faison really talked about it as well earlier. And it's something that we all do as it relates to um, our treatment of what we perceive to be an authority or a right, you know, whether it's white evangelical or whatever, whatever we consider to be the standard of what Christianity is in America. But I think also, man, it's because it's so flattering for black men who haven't been affirmed and who haven't had, who have deep father wounds um, and who have this mentality that, man, if, if, if a man just looks at me and says, I'm proud of you and I'm going to give you the keys to this campus and believes in us, that's something that really makes us sore on the inside because we haven't done the deep work of acknowledging the fact that, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Ostensibly, again, like you were saying, that's a good thing to be affirmed, but we haven't done the deep work of talking about the things in our hearts that lead us to privilege certain voices over others, right? Privilege certain spaces over others. And so what, what stood out to me as well, you know, not just in the in the idea of, of commodities, what stood out to me as well is the reality that, man, uh, there weren't, there were barely any black women on that stage. There was one black woman on that stage, yeah. but there yeah, were barely any. And so there, the men ran up and then there was one black woman who I, I believe is on staff or, or what have you. And, um, but other than that, there weren't any black women on stage. And it's very interesting to me that all these black men are there. They have families, they have wives, they have children, but, but the women that they're married to are erased in this equation and are erased as mm -hmm. seen as people who are, are willing to stand up in that regard. And I think another thing that really, really uh, hammered the point home as far as commodities is the way in which he referred to them and the way in which he referred to them is, man, this person does this. This person does that. This person does the other. And it reminded me of something in my mind that, man, all these people, no matter what I think about their decision and their actions, they're all extremely talented and gifted. They're all yeah. extremely talented and gifted. And they are a prized commodity for a reason because of their gifts. And I think it is so easy for us to go to a place where we feel like we can use all of our gifts. And oftentimes that's a white evangelical space because we're seen as unique and exotic and different and there's not as much competition. And we feel like we got to compete against a, a whole bunch of people for only a few spots in the black church. And whatever that may mean for us mentally, I'm looking at them and I'm saying, man, y'all are gifted. Like who told y'all y'all needed someone to stand up and affirm mm. the gifts that God already gave you? Mm. No, you're great in and of yourself. You didn't need that pedigree. You really didn't. You didn't need it. Maybe he gave you an opportunity, but you're great all by yourself. And it made me sit back and say, man, we're we're not only being treated as commodities, but we're also devaluing ourselves as well. We're devaluing how good we are. Like we're devaluing mm -hmm. how gifted we are. And when I looked at it, I said, man, and then here's, here's another thing. And this is another shield concept here. 
But but black Christians, we are not shields. Yes, true. But also black Christians, we are not stools. Hmm. We are not inanimate objects. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I'll say there are two dynamics here that I really want to address and emphasize. And one of those dynamics is that for many black Christians, we've been speaking about uh, speaking out about these things since 2012, 2014, uh, Trayvon Martin, Mike Brown, depending on when you had your awakening. Right. And, and a lot of people even long before that. Right. Um, so we've been speaking out about these things, talking about these things, constantly, you know, raising our voices, been called everything, every name but a child of God. <laughs> being called everything you can possibly, every spiritual and racial slur you can be called by professed believers and spiritual leaders and pastors. And then now we look around and especially today, oh, now everybody on Juneteenth. Oh, y'all care about Juneteenth now, huh? Wow. Now here's the thing. The same people who injured us aren't coming back to repent to us. That's what I'm the saying. The same people who called us names aren't now coming back to lift us up. Now we're just stools to either be stepped over or stepped on. Now we're just the people who are getting you to your enlightenment because it's always about you. It's always mm. about what happened. Man, now it's important. Now you want to talk mm. about it in your church, but you diss me to my face. So how are you going to tell yes. people to, to encourage and to listen to people you won't listen to yourself? How are you going to instruct listen. people to model something you're not modeling yourself? How does that I work? Have... And now you're not going to come back and lift me up after you talk down about me? to my face and around other people. Now I'm not your stool. <laughs> no. And then I'm not your retroactive stool either. I'm not the person that spends hours upon hours talking to you every single night about all the things you got to think about these issues. Well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what about this? Well, what about, I'm like, you ain't been doing the work. You haven't been doing the work for five, six, seven years when you've seen me post about it. And there's, there's two different types of people. There are the people who address you publicly or privately, and then the people who ignore that you're saying everything. So they erase mm. you. They make you invisible. And now I'm your stool towards racial enlightenment and justice? How does this work? We're not shields, nor are we stools, nor are we people to step on or step over, and then you don't come back and repair the people you stepped on. Come on, man. And and I'm just, I'm, I'm connecting this, I'm connecting this to Pastor Hodges because I want it to be clear. This is the reason why I mentioned because it makes no sense for me to mention people generally if there's a clear-cut example that you can really, really glean from. He he said, man, you know what? Um, He, he came back and said, to his credit, man, I'm a, I'm a different Pastor Hodges now. I'm a different, I'm a different pastor now. Amen. I believe you. You are. Right. Because you're having to confront some things, not saying you change, but you are having to confront some things. Right. OK, cool, cool, cool. OK, now you're having to confront some things. But here's the interesting thing about that. This is what he said. He said, man, I brought in my four pastors. Same guys we had brought up. I brought in my four pastors, man. You know, black pastors. I said, man, just teach me. What do I need to know? Now, hold on. Wait a second here. Now, my role is I'm a pastor. I didn't know. Listen, I, I understand we in relation. I didn't know I was educated too. Are you gonna pay me like an educator? Yeah. Are you gonna compensate me according to the work that I'm putting in? Mm. Are you gonna ask if I need if I need time off to recover and repair from hearing you say and do these things and mm -hmm. act like it didn't exist? And then, and then all the women that I've seen who have posted on social media about how hurt they are, they the ones you need to be talking to. We're in positions of power. 
we have we have a lot to lose. So we're naturally going to correct. We're naturally going to cover. We're naturally going to want to preserve our position. So of course, but what about the women who are who are crying out on your social media comments and y'all just scrolling through? My, my, my. Go look at the post. If you think I'm playing, step out of this stream and go look at the post on Instagram. If you think I'm joking and see if anybody's being talked to. Reach out hmm. and ask them. Hmm. All the people who are saying, I, I felt like this was a safe place for me. And now you're going to step over them. Hey, you four who really like me and who I've done a whole lot for and who have a lot to lose. So I know you're not going to really tell me the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You come on in. What if the four told you to resign? You think that's what they're going to tell you to do? Come on, man. Listen, I, I, I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. We're not shields and we're not stools. We are not people to be stepped on and stepped over. And I have to say this because we miss it, man. We miss the fact that black women are getting stepped over and stepped on. I'm going to keep coming back to it. I'm tired of us ignoring it. It may look great for me. It may be great for me. It may be an opportunity for me, but black women don't get afforded the same opportunities in these spaces. They're seen through a flattened lens, through a limited prism. And we got to name that thing, man. We got to name that. So listen, I'm not saying he's not doing repentance work. I'm not saying he's not taking some steps. I'm not saying he's not listening. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that right there is a sign and signal to me that there is a there is a culture of tokenization and commodification towards black and brown bodies. And it has to stop. And I'm going to tell you, people get so offended when you bring up pastors' names. They like, man, you know what? You shouldn't do that. You a pastor. I know. But here's the thing. When I mess up and when I fall short, I pray y'all come get me. Please do. Please do. Because it is so important for those of us in leadership to recognize the extreme power that we have. And the power that we have can injure and permanently harm people. You want to know how many people I talk to who are like, man, I ain't even comfortable coming to church. I don't even want to mm. go to your church. My church didn't do anything to you. Yeah, but the other church did. And they don't even want to step foot in church because it's not safe. We're not shields. We're not stools. Full stop. That's a word, Pastor. Um, beyond Charles Hodges, Chris Hodges. Um, yeah. What's the message to to black Christians in this moment? If we're extrapolating not shields and not, not stools in my situation, you know, maybe I'm at a predominantly white church or a Christian ministry or nonprofit or, or what have you. What's the general principle as we're talking about free to be? Yeah. Yeah. OK. So if you if you are going to be free, you need to walk in your freedom. You need to walk as though you are free. So let me be very practical here. Um, if you are a black pastor in a white evangelical space, here's what I encourage and recommend and plead with you to do. If that's the space God has called you to, that's not for me to say. That's not for me to tell you to leave and get up and go. If you are called to stay there, you need to organize. Hmm. If you are called to stay there, you need to organize as if other people's lives, families, bodies, and souls depend on your position of power. This is very hard for people to understand. It's not just about you. I was talking with Dante about this um, on the PTM where we talked about righteous black rage. And I just want to emphasize to y'all that it is not as big of a compliment to be the first 
And the only, as you think that it is, it is not as big of a compliment as you think that it is. That's great. But if the door closes behind you after you step in, you have failed your people. You have failed to think about your neighbor. You have failed to think about your kinsmen according to the flesh. You failed. So my position of power, if I am in a white evangelical setting, which I am not, but if I'm in a white evangelical setting and I'm a pastor, my position of power means that other people's livelihoods, bodies, um, their souls depend on what I do. So here's what I would say. If you are not gathering all the black people for a black people, black Christian only meeting, of members of your particular church on a monthly basis, on a regular basis, to check the temperature, it doesn't have to be an emergency, to check the temperature of what is going on, of how they are feeling, of how they are living, of how they are dealing with being in a, a, a minority in this white dominated space, you need to do that. You need to organize people together to give them safe space to fully be themselves holistically. And here's the thing about that is when you do it in peacetime, not just in wartime, when the wartime comes, when the issues come, because they will come, you're able to work things out in private and you're able to move as one plural voice, right? What's the, what's the proverb? Sticks in a bundle are unbreakable, right? That's the African proverb. So sticks in a bundle are unbreakable. We have to come together and we have to stand together if you are going to be in those spaces. Now, here's another thing with that. If it is the case that people are not listening to you and they're not operating in repentance, then it's not just one or two people leaving, which pastors can rationalize, not just two or three families leaving. It's a hundred families leaving. It's 50 families leaving. It's 500 families leaving. And you can leave loud. See, some people are just trickling off. And the only, the only way we know they're leaving is because they put up a Facebook status. That's the only way we know they leave. Other people... They're, they're leaving loud, as loud as they possibly can, but because it's just them, people can dismiss them away. You can't dismiss 500 people standing at your face. And we leave loud and, and people are like, oh, how are you going to do that? Okay. The Protestant Reformation. We're going to do the same thing your boy Martin Luther did. Y'all been doing it for years, centuries. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to organize together. If y'all don't listen, y'all don't repent, we leave. We nail it to the doorpost. Let's get practical here. Let's talk about money because this is the thing that we are doing. We see the budgets, we see the savings accounts, and we don't use them for our benefit. We are afraid to use the leverage and the power that we have. We have power, not just to walk in freedom for ourselves, but to create freedom for other people. Okay, let's talk about it. If you're on staff and you're in a position of power, you're a pastor, black pastor in a white evangelical space, is your church providing free pro bono racial trauma counseling for anybody who wants it, who is black. I've seen churches do it. Don't tell me it's not possible. I've seen churches do it. I know it's possible. And not coming out of my pay, not coming out what you are paying the staff. No, this is pro bono. It's on y'all's time. Y'all do that. Because I am in this space. And if I'm going to flourish in this space, you need to pay for the reparative counseling necessary for me to deal with this space. Let me give you another thing, okay? All right, cool. Y'all like, man, Juneteenth, we free now. Amen, cool. Now, when are you gonna write that check for $50,000 and put that in a separate account so that the black people who are in your leadership and who are on staff at your church can utilize it for the flourishing and the development of black families and black people and black women in your church context? 
So if we need to take a group of 10 to 15 people who are going to stay, who have committed themselves to stay, if we're going to take them on a retreat to recover from the hell that they've been through over the past three weeks, y'all paying for it, not us. There is a separate line item on the budget that is built back into, you can justify it however you want to justify it. And it is not something that you lord over. You said, no, we're going to invest in your reparative therapy. If we need to go to a black church conference or a black Christian conference, we need to go to Join Justice 2021. You're going to pay for it. Why should we have to pay for it when we are giving you a value add? We are giving you a great, use your leverage. And people don't think about this because they're like, man, that's not, that's not Christian. That's not, no, what is not Christian is to allow people to trample upon you. And then thus, because you think you can take it, you allow other people and your neighbors to be trampled upon themselves. No, you need to utilize the fact that if we can spend $250,000 for a soundboard, if we can spend $30,000 for some cameras, nah, you can spend $50,000, put it into, into an account. That's the bare minimum so that it can be used for the flourishing of the people you say you care so much about. You crying. Why are you crying? Stock. <laughs> Why are you crying? Write a check. Why are you crying? I feel you. But yo, love is what love does. That's what I was taught. Do something with it. May your actions correspond with the tears that are falling to the carpet. Get on your knees, get up and go write a check so that someone can be free. I'm just saying, we, we need to think like this and black Christians in those spaces are not thinking like this. And that's why people are, people are leaving those spaces or they're talking to other people outside of those spaces. And when they talk to other people outside of those spaces, they're like, man, we don't have any leverage to do anything. Get you five, 10 people and start there and build from there. We gotta get practical, Jamar. This freedom, we gotta apply pressure. We like, oh, the civil rights movement. That's what they did, they applied pressure. Applied pressure. That's the only way things change. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Finding a faith strong enough to hold us. Written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Yes, and amen, brother. I'm sorry, I'm it, giving y'all I'm giving y'all look, I'm giving y'all I'm giving y'all the freedom notes because it's freedom day. I'm giving y'all the freedom notes. I don't get it. If you are in a place and you are working as hard as you possibly can work, and you are having to justify your existence, and you are having to not be seen on the stage, you are having to not be seen and and, and reduce your culture and become monocultural, why is it? I don't understand. Why is it that you have no right to demand that people treat you well? No, and this is the thing. This is what people have to understand because I hear a lot of this. People come to an enlightenment 
They get woke, as you would say, and they come to this enlightenment and and they are and they rise up and then they say, man, what can we do? And then they they spend hours of coffees and breakfasts and lunches and dinners and tea times. And I'll go over to your house. You come over to my house. Our kids play together. And it's just labor questions, 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 questions. It's just 21 questions to infinity. And we play in this game and we given all of our labor and our expertise. And then they interrogating us and cross-examining us. But what about this? And what about that? What about this? What about that? And you didn't have a relationship with them before, but now they see you as a resource. They see you as an encyclopedia. They see you as Google. And we doing all this because people now came to an enlightenment. No, we have to teach you. This, <laughs> we have to teach you how to treat us well. We have to teach you how to treat us with dignity. You didn't know before. Now you want to know? Okay, this is what it looks like. Repair. Don't just repent. Repair the things that you have broken and destroyed. Why is that hard for us to understand in the church? And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of sitting with people who are crying and weeping and traumatized and triggered and having to deal with justifying their existence in the house of God. Y'all better organize. You do not deserve it. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they call this. I'm speaking to y'all, not to them. You don't deserve it. So what you're saying reminds me of a few things. Number one, there is precedent for what you're saying, organizing. And if change is not occurring, leaving in mass, that's how historically black denominations came to be. <laughs> so the African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, right about this in the color of compromise is a dramatic story. They go in to their uh, the, the, the black worshipers go into uh, their Episcopal Church where they've been worshiping for years. They are in prayer and they are in the so-called wrong section. It is segregated seating in the house of God. And while they are in prayer, uh, uh, officials from the church try to get them up. And then as soon as the prayer ends, they walk out in a group, go down the street and found their own church. One of those churches goes on to become uh, Mother Bethel AME uh, uh, Foundation of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. But that's not it. That was before the Civil War. Right after the Civil War, you have a mass exodus of black people out of predominantly white denominations who say, y'all are still racist. You have treated us as second class citizens in the household of God. And we know how to love ourselves enough to say that we don't have to stay in here, that we can go start our own thing. And what, what, what sticks out to me is this, is that as you were talking, it occurred to me that, that, that they left the white churches to do what they do. There was no guarantee that the white churches were going to change or get the message. But black Christians did what they had to do to honor the image of God in themselves and each other. Come on. Come on. And then the other thing that occurs to me is to the extent that we we. You said we have to teach them how to love us, which is 100 percent true. And at the same time, we have to learn how to love ourselves. Come you on, see this Jamar. internalized racism, this internalized white supremacy. We 
come in with an inferiority complex. We're not worth the, the, the same amount of money as our peers. Our, our labors are, are, are not as valuable, are not as good unless we excel and do exceeding abundantly what our white peers do. Uh, we come in with a sense of devaluing ourselves. And so part of decolonization and part of following the Bible, which says to love your neighbor as you love yourself, is to learn to love the image of God in yourself, uh, which let, cannot let me, be let done so well. this. <laughs> Let me emphasize this. Y'all want to know why I make a big show of this type of stuff? Mm-hmm. Y'all want to know why I, why I put it on blast every time I can with Jamar? Y'all don't know the conversations we have behind the scenes. You have no idea. You mm. have no idea what we've been through. Zero clue. Nah, he gonna hear every time we together, you that dude. And you don't need to let anybody, anybody on Twitter, anybody on social media, anybody in your past, anybody in your denomination, tell you, you ain't that dude. No, you that dude. But we gotta tell each other that stuff. We gotta believe yeah. it. Yeah. We gotta We've say, I see you. Decades of people saying, ah, man, well, you know, I'm just a wretch and I'm just... I'm just trash. I'm a worm before God. And I'm, it's like, hold up, man. We get enough of that from the world. (laughs) They created that theology for them. That wasn't for us. What you mean? There's stuff we do. Nobody can do. Don't tell me that they can do it. Do Mm -hmm. not tell me that they can do it. If they could do it, they would have done it. It's some stuff we mm. can do that God has created us to do. It's not about gassing ourselves up. You know this. Y'all y'all who know me know my heart. It ain't about gassing us up. It is about us making sure that we properly value the gift of God on the inside of us. I'm tired of it, man. I'm so sick of it. That's why I'm, I'm going on live randomly. I'm like, man, you know what? Black Christians, you just need to hear you're important. And people are like, oh, thank you. I've, I haven't heard that in so long. I'm like, why not? Right, right. Why are you in a place where you don't hear that you are important? Why are you in a place where you don't hear you're fearfully and wonderfully made? You're beautiful. Why are you in a place where you don't hear? Man, there there are things you you can do. I wish I could do that. I don't know how you do it. That's phenomenal, man. That's for and we have so much ingrained PTSD from feeling like we can't be free. Mm Mm-hmm. That we down in ourselves, man, and spitting on the creation of God. No more, man. Nah, you that dude. Well, it makes me think of <laughs> y'all need to hear that. Listen, you need to. You, I'm serious. You need to find somebody. We think Juneteenth. We're like, oh man, this is really just. Oh man, it's a heavy day. No, I say just a day for education. Sometimes you need to talk that talk. Sometimes you need to look across the table from somebody. And be like, I don't care what they say. They ain't gonna <laughs> find anybody like you. They can try. They ain't going to find nobody like you. They don't want it, but they ain't going to find nobody like you. And you should believe that. And I'm going to tell you, because it is war every single day on our psyche, on our minds. Nah, we got to gas each other up. We got to make sure every single person who is on this call, who is a black Christian, is some stuff you, man, I didn't. I had conversations with people. They're like, yeah, you know, I got a, I got a master's. I got a, man, I got a, doctorate. I got it. I'm like, I feel just so, I don't know. I just, I don't know if I did the right thing. What you talking about? Mm. You a gift. They missed out. That's on mm. them. They missed out. They going to have judgment because of, they missed out on what you were supposed to provide. 
nah, man, we got to talk that talk to each other, man. If they're not going to do it and we don't feel comfortable doing it for ourselves, we got to do it for each other. You know, that's why they say we all we got. I think that's a theological statement. We, we all us. we got. <laughs> we <laughs> us. Because, nah, because man. Nobody come on, man. Right? Talk about nobody it. Nobody quite understands the, the what I call it is the um, distinct dehumanization in, in people of African descent, right? There's a particular way it manifests, which is anti-Blackness uh, in our society. And so what you're getting at is, is I think, the, the constant deluge of, of messages that we're inundated with that we're less than, that we're marginal, that we are not as good. And what you're saying is we've got to speak truth into that lie which is that we are we are we are kings and queens my goodness and i love it i love the authenticity that you that you bring and i see it uh not just as you speak about me and my accomplishments but but uh, i see it in the way that you uh treat your youth and i think that's incredibly important that these you know young folks high school students college students they hear it Look, from pastors let me and tell older folks let me tell y'all something these young folk, this Generation Z, uh, doing doing stuff I couldn't even imagine doing. Yeah, at their they age. are. I couldn't even um, I couldn't comprehend it. They run their whole programs. Last night we were at a recording. We we're recording our uh, service, and um, we we're recording our service. And man, our um, we have an eighteen year old, one of our eighteen year old youth leaders. She's running the whole announcements. So she writes the announcements, runs them. Um, picks which people are going to speak, all that. Eight and she was coaching 18 years old. She was coaching people twice her age, three times her age. Okay, well, go back to this part and do this and say it with a smile. She's literally training and teaching. She ain't got no training. She in college. She in freshman college. Wow. I'm like, man, these people yeah. is, and we out here and we got our, we got our, our shoulders slumped down. Mm, Man, you better talk mm. like T'Chaka to T'Challa. Don't stand up. You a king. Uh-uh. Don't play with but us. I'm going to tell you this, man. Black pastors, if y'all don't talk that talk to other Ooh. pastors, mm. I'm telling y'all, listen to me. This is so important. Don't let them, don't let, because they have a big budget and because they have people who are conventionally trained, don't be like, man, I wish I had what you have. No, you don't. Uh-uh. You got enough right there in your own house. What's in your hands? Who your people? If your people had the same training and started from the same place they did, they'd be past them. You got to stop doing that. We got to stop. And I do it all the time. We got to stop doing that. No, our people good enough. I got my squad. Mm, I love it. Um. And to the degree that we don't do it, we are enabling uh, white supremacy and racist ideas, right? To the extent that we act as shields, to the extent that we act as stools and don't push back and don't assert our own God-given dignity, then we give them cover to remain where they are. We give them cover to remain in the darkness when it comes to to these ideas of racial justice. And so th th there, there, there's almost a culpability that goes to it. If we are not loving ourselves well and discipling other people on how to love us, there's a sense in which we perpetuate the things that are making us weary, the things that make us feel diminished. And then the last thing I'll say is, as you use that, that metaphor of a shield, I'm reminded of 
the way the Bible talks about a shield in Ephesians 6, and it talks about the shield of faith. So, no, we are not shields. You know what the shield is? The shield is faith. And I think faith is so important in this conversation because what prevents us from walking out? Now, this is my testimony, okay? I was, uh, as Paul would say, you know, I was an evangelical of evangelicals, right? I, I, I said the sinner's prayer. I went to the churches. I went to the retreats. I read the books. I, I, I was all in this world. I didn't know any other world because I got saved in that context. But, 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 but as I'm learning about myself and who God made me to be, and I'll shout out history for this, this was one of the key catalysts that helped me understand my own self and my own dignity was studying my ancestors and the people who came before me and the ways they resisted and the ways they persisted. Then I'm saying, well, what am I doing here? But for so long, I, I, I walked the walk and I talked the talk. Tyler, I can tell you, I can show you pictures on my iPhone from a few years ago. And, and, and you can tell by my aesthetic how deep in that sunken place I was. It was in the way I dressed. It was in the way I walked. It was in the way I talked. And, and, and to come out of that place was frightening for me for a couple of reasons, because number one, you would have to step out of that which was familiar. So it's, it, it's not just, uh, 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 you know, very um, concrete things like money that's keeping you there. But it's right, also, right. this is the only thing I know. This is what's familiar. And then the other part is, okay, if I do step out, what am I stepping into? Is there a floor beneath me? Or will I tumble into the chasm? Where will the money come from? Where will I land? With what group? Who will be my people? And I can tell you this from my own testimony. It's a frightening thing, especially that first step where you where you disengage from the organization. I was under... Uh, in the process of ordination in a denomination. And I stepped out of that and I had no idea where I would land. I had no idea at that point if I was even called to be a minister of the gospel because things had, 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 had shifted for me so much. And, but, but stepping out of that process and stepping away from that denomination, I'll tell you what I found. I found an Exodus community. I found a group of people on the way. I found a group of people who were in the desert. They were they were not yet to the promised land, but they had a pillar of, of of fire and a pillar of cloud. And I knew I could follow them as we followed Jesus together. And that was my group. We didn't have a home. We were pilgrims on the way. We didn't have a palace. We had tents. And so that's where we are. I think many of us are in this Exodus community, but that shield is faith and what is keep so often from 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 leaving is that we don't have that faith. We think we're the shield when 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 Jesus, when faith in Jesus is our shield. So I just give that as an encouragement because I don't speak as somebody who doesn't know this experience. I speak as somebody who's been through it, who's still traumatized by it, who's getting professional therapy for it, who texts Tyler day and night, complaining and crying out and looking for for help and support and guidance. I, I, I speak to you as a brother in Christ who's been through this. And I just want this is what I hope from this moment for black Christians is that we have the faith to get free. Free to be Come on. free to be faithful, free to step out. In, in God's calling. God's got it for you. I don't know what season you're in. You may be at this predominantly white space for now. 
Uh, it may be the right time for you to stay, but it may also be the right time for you to leave. And the only thing I can tell you is there's freedom on the other side. Yes. Yes. Man, I want to end our time uh, today and in this podcast by um, reading something that I wrote. Maybe you guys haven't had a chance to take a look at it. It was on my personal Facebook, so didn't really put it out there. But I just want to read some uh, for you guys and um, we'll close out and we'll get to the after party. Um, and it says, this is for black Christians. I was sitting down earlier, scrolling through social media and just shook my head with gratitude. Y'all are a miracle. You inspire me. The way you dissect culture, condense theology, harness humor, channel energy, raise conscious children, love with all your might, compliment each other and praise God through it all. On top of all that, you deal with microaggressions and racial trauma and antagonizing Facebook comments and racist relatives and imposter syndrome and so much more we don't see. And you're still here. In case people haven't told you lately, you are beyond beautiful, fearfully and wonderfully made. The world can't comprehend it, so they attack you for it. They even try to steal that beauty for their own benefit, but try as they might, they can't take it away from you. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. You are important. You are important. The world needs you, and I need you. I love y'all, man. I hope that this event has helped you to get free. Um, we're actually about to transition. Um, to an after party. So we're going to bring on members of the witness team. I think it's going to stay on the stream as well. But before we do, I just want to acknowledge the team members, just in case you may drop off the stream. It is ridiculous for me not to acknowledge the amount of work that has gone into all of this. I want to acknowledge the person who has been steering this event, making sure the logistics run well. Uh, that's Zena Jones. She's phenomenal. She's a member of our staff. Outstanding. I want to acknowledge Adam Keeley, for doing all the tech behind the scenes, um, an incredible uh, brand manager, an incredible creative. I also wanna acknowledge uh, Bo York, our award-winning producer, for setting things up and being tech assist, um, in many ways tech lead on so many different things, including this podcast. I wanna acknowledge our friend Roberto Flores, my guy. We're gonna start in a buddy cop comedy one day. Um, he is my dude. Phenomenal. He's been HQing this whole, whole entire thing and will continue to HQ. Um, I want to acknowledge Ali Henney for doing phenomenal work on social media. Amazing work on social media. That little video they put up, it, it got 22, 23,000 views because Ali was in it. <laughs> because Ali is the person who's quarterbacking it. She's also the, the host of Combing the Roots. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal woman of God. And she recently graduated from seminary too. She graduated from Fuller Seminary. What? All right. Doing all this stuff? MDiv scholar. MDiv? Come on. What? Have to acknowledge Elodie Leroy. Phenomenal work on that national anthem. People are like, what, what version is this? That's the Elodie version. That's what we call in that. Her husband, her husband did the, look, we know her husband pressed the buttons and put it together, but no, she's the one who oversaw that project. Elodie yes. is incredible. She runs our website, all the articles that go up, that's Elodie making sure that everything is on par and everything is set. We got to shout out our brother, Aaron James. Man, that brother has done pastor. so much for us. He's managing so much. He is the pastor. He's watching for our souls, caring for us so well. We love you, brother. We know you've been doing so much, man. We hate we couldn't get you on this stream, but I just want to acknowledge you 
And man, we have a phenomenal team. We have an embarrassment of riches. And I want to acknowledge as well um, we Ali's husband, Ben, as well. I have to acknowledge him uh, because he helped out as well. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jamar. You, you, you was going to leave you out because you're doing the shout outs. You're doing the acknowledgements. Look, man, I am going nah, to man, nah. acknowledge <laughs> Tyler does more. What you see uh, on Pastor Mike and the Witness is just the tip of the iceberg. Tyler is active in his community, lead pastor of a church, and does a, a half dozen other things that y'all will never hear about because he's just not that dude. He's okay uh, doing things for God in God's glory and not for human accolades. But but y'all may not have realized this. I've been on sabbatical. And so Tyler has taken as vice president, he's taken on the lead. And so everything around this Juneteenth event, he has spearheaded and coordinated. So, man, this is a phenomenal event. I know people are going to be demanding more content like this now that they've seen it and they've caught a vision for it. And and the entire team has done a phenomenal job. But I want to thank you for quarterbacking this whole thing, especially in my absence and allowing me to do some other things uh, was capable hands, brother. And and this has been a, a most thrilling and memorable Juneteenth. Good work. Man, it's been phenomenal. Thank you, brother. It's been phenomenal. Hey, we're going to do an after party. We're going to do some more shout outs, make a couple of announcements, too. Um, so if you guys want to hang out with us, we'll just do an after party. I think we're just going to stay on this stream. We're going to stay on this this stream. We'll, we'll hop off, but there'll be a stream that kind of takes over from this. But man, shout out to you guys. We absolutely love you. We hope that this this won't be our last Juneteenth event, but we hope that this first Juneteenth event makes you truly feel free to be and that this has been just a comprehensive day for you. Shout out to all of our, our guests and the people who uh, deliver content for us. We're going to shout them out in more detail in the after party. But until next time, thank y'all so much. We love y'all. This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.